I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Todd Deshida. Welcome to Climate Optimus. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference. So, you know, while most podcasts out there are funded through sponsors or ads, we here at Climate Optimus rely on listener donations to bring you the programming you hear each week. So, if you are a loyal listener and value what you're getting from us, and I know that's a big if, consider a, a donation that aligns with that value. All you have to do is head over to our website, climateoptimist.co, click that donate button. And as Todd says, no donation is too small or too big. Well, Did yeah. I misquote you there? I maybe have said that, but let's be clear. I'd rather it be big. <laughs> So with every topic we cover, we try our best to track down answers to what we think are are critical questions. And when we did our episode this past fall focused on climate impacts of, of beef and related meats, I think at least I came away with a number of additional questions about, you know, kind of the world of, of meat alternatives. And so with our guest this week, we finally get a chance to answer some of those lingering questions and learn more about, you know, plant-based proteins. So before we get there, I've heard you got a good reason for hope for us this week. Yeah. So NATO, uh, the world's largest military alliance, uh, just announced climate targets as part of its summit in Madrid. So it has committed to reduce its emissions by at least 45% by 2030 and be carbon neutral by 2050, in line with what's needed to stay on track to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, as we always talk about, which is a, you know obviously a big deal. Of course, individual countries still need to determine what what targets to set for their own military, but the announcement, uh, you know, is, is an additional piece of momentum as Europe's working to accelerate its efforts to decarbonize. The U.S. military is already working to achieve similar targets which have been set forth by the Biden administration in spring of 2021. So yeah, a big deal. I, I'm curious to see how, maybe I'm just naive, but like how militaries will be able to do, you know, carbon neutral. And I don't know if there's like some offsetting that will have to take place. You know, I don't know what, what kind of impact, you know, the, the, like the air forces of these places, but it seems hard to think that they'd be able to completely go off like fossil fuels, you know, when you're talking about like flying an F-16 or something. But totally. uh, I'm sure there's there's other ways of doing it, probably electrifying certain parts of the, the force that they can. Yeah. You know, you could see a world where you're electrifying a lot of the, you know, the ground equipment. Right. But we're, you know, we're clearly a ways away from having an F-16 that flies on batteries. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, sure. yeah, I think you're right. There's going to have to be some some biofuels in there, you know, hopefully some right. sustainable biofuels to, to take their place. For sure. But yeah, exciting announcement nonetheless. I mean, I think all yeah. of these collectively just keep, you know, adding up and it puts more pressure on countries to kind of ante up. So I, yeah. I think it's a good thing. Well, our guest today is a self-dubbed recovering management consultant. Uh, Chris Dennett is the uh, vice president of people and strategy at the Tofurky company, uh, a leading plant-based foods company where he focuses on strategy, corporate planning, people and organizational design. Prior to joining Tofurky, Chris was a principal consultant at the North Highland Worldwide Consulting Firm, where he designed and led complex projects. 
He has been a volunteer for the Oregon chapter of Environmental Entrepreneurs since 2008, great organization, and lives in Bend, Oregon, and in his spare time is a big mountain biker, skier, kiteboarder, so clearly keeps himself busy. Chris, welcome to Climate Optimist. Well, thank you for having me. So let's start off with a, with a basic question that we ask all our guests. When it uh, comes to efforts to address climate change, what makes you hopeful? I think I would say is our youth and the next generation of consumers. We are seeing that shift, even at Tofurky in the marketplace, around how people are changing their buying preferences. But also we've got this major demographic coming up behind us who care about climate and there's enough of them to really make to move a move the dial so i'm really really uh hopeful about our youth and and the way that they approach their lives and their purchasing uh and you know civic engagement i think they're going to make a difference and address climate change in the in the future yeah i i feel similarly hopeful in that respect and it's good to hear that you know, consumer habits are changing because I think we we recognize that the the status quo isn't very sustainable. So, just for people's benefit, you know, how did you get into the world of plant based proteins? So, I, I work for the Tofurky Company in Hood River, Oregon. I'm their VP of People and Strategy, and uh, I knew them from a previous career in management consulting, where they were a client of the firm that I was working for. It was a, a year long project nothing to do with with their brand or mission but really just helping them uh on their you know on their on their journey towards becoming a larger company and got to know the ceo and many on the senior leadership team and was blown away at at their commitment to their mission the the value and mission based approach to their business and the fact that they uh as a privately held company could do what they wanted to do in 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 the name of their mission. They didn't have to to get permission from somebody else to to decide what they wanted to do. So I was always it was one of my favorite projects as a as one client projects uh, back in 2015. And then uh, some years later, you know, they got wind of me wanting to make a change, and uh, it it worked worked for both of us. And that's how I ended up at Tofurky. It, it was. Uh, serendipitous for all of us. So, Yeah, I suppose that's a, the world's best job interview, right? Are you going to try them out? They're going to try you out. And then uh, at the end, you know, an opportunity exactly. pops up. Yeah. You know, some folks may be aware that obviously, you know, eating plant-based has benefits for both the environment and, and the climate, but wondering for those who might not be as familiar, you know, what are those benefits, right? How does eating plant-based or plant-based proteins in particular um, help with climate change? Yeah. Um, you know, I think a good way to think about it is like the, you know, what a lot of people understand is like a beef burger patty. You know, there are so many of these eaten by Americans every year. I, you know, I, the number is kind of astro astronomical, something like I think the average American eats more than 100 burgers a year, uh, animal protein burgers. And if if you compare that to a plant-based burger, in the form of water and land and how much carbon is used to produce the product. You know, a plant-based burger, according to the United Nations on environment, 
it's 87% less water, uh, 94% less land, and ultimately in the end, uh, almost 90% less carbon emissions to produce an equivalent burger patty for your July 4th uh, barbecue burger. So um, it, it's just the, the fact that you're, you're using plant-based ingredients and you don't have to raise an animal to get them to weight that needs a lot of feed, a lot of uh, water, and a lot of space to get that animal to the size that's needed to harvest that. You know, then we could talk about, you know, the distribution of these products and how they're, how they're produced, you know, plant-based manufacturing, plant-based product manufacturing is very light manufacturing. It's very similar to a bakery, you know, things are being mixed into doughs uh, and they're, they're put into forms They're they're, they're, they're cooked in ovens and pasteurized and put into packaging and then, and shipped out. So it's, it's a very light manufacturing, not very intensive process um but really it, it it really starts in the not having to raise an animal like a cow to create the product is really where the climate savings climate efficiency is in plant-based product yeah i mean I, you know somewhat familiar with those percentages but every time i hear them it's it's still crazy to think that it's just really a fraction uh, of the resources you know water land and and carbon to to get that, you know, that tasty burger on your plate. So knowing that plant-based proteins are, you know, good for the environment, good for the climate, you know, good for your health, eating more of them is a positive thing. If you're looking kind of at your industry, what are, you know, really what are the challenges from taking, you know, plant-based proteins from where they are today to, you know, I don't know, mainstream is the right word, but, you know, but let's say the predominant type of protein that we were, you know, we're consuming. Yeah. The, the problem used to be the vegan and vegetarian consumer groups weren't large enough and they were they were really only the ones that were trying it and then uh, you know in the 90s with heart health etc you had that generation of people saying you know hey the doctor saying hey you're you're not doing well you need to eat less meat and so people would try, you know, the equivalent that, you know, oh, I, I looks like a sausage kind of tastes like it. Uh, I'll try that. And um, that grew from there. And, and the industry grew, unfortunately, out of a generation of people who had heart health problems. And that grew the, the pie in the, in the 90s. So, you know, people think that companies like Tofurky sell to vegetarians and vegans, and it's, it's actually quite a very small percentage of who buys it. So really the other people at that time were because of health reasons. They wanted to try these at the time were called meat alternatives. And, but then it all changed about 20 years ago where all these new entrants with a lot of money got into it. And, you know, the beyond and impossibles of the world who are well-funded, you know, together they flowed it with the old school brands like ourselves. You know, the tide floated all boats and then the millennials come along who isn't, it's not only about health, it's um, about, you know, purchasing what you believe in, purchasing with values, purchasing uh, products that's going to change systems away from the way that it should be changed to. And so you've got a new demographic of people buying 
based on their belief system. And for food, it's buying based on animal welfare and climate reasons in addition to health. So that demographic has switched. However, the same challenges of price and flavor and the way the product behaves, we call it texture and form, color, is still a challenge to the to the end user. They, you know, despite their, you know, their the, their purchasing behaviors are more aligned with their values. They still want the product to be uh, how they think it should be, which is very similar to an animal version. And so the challenges today ends up being in our, you know, product development space around how do you continue to make products. Um, have the shelf life and be able to last in the fridge or be able to be frozen in your freezer and then be slacked out and still be the same quality and behave just like that animal burger or that animal sausage. And so it becomes a mix for us at Tofurky. It's a mix of culinary and food science that our R&D team has the challenge of figuring out the next product. All of us deal with the same business problems that any manufacturer has, you know, from from procuring all your materials to having enough people to manufacture your, keep your manufacturers going and distributing your product. A unique challenge we have is we've opted to remain private, which allows us to do what we want to do and what we think is right, but means that we always have to be very, you know, resources are always tight. And we have to make the right bets and versus a lot of these new startups in the food tech space are well-funded and they get to, you know, experiment a lot and uh, buy shelf space. Um, and it's just a, it's a much more competitive industry than it was 15, 20 years ago, but that's good for the consumer and that's good for the climate. So uh, we're, we're happy that there are so many more, competitors out there. That just means that this industry is growing and it's the consumer's base is growing and it, we're going to make a difference. So, you know, sounds like you guys have got a lot of challenges on your plate, clearly, but the market is is headed in the right direction. You know, if you had to, you know, guess, I mean, where would you say things are going to be, you know, five years from now versus where they are today? I mean, what kind of growth are we, you know, you anticipate seeing? Yeah. And then- Along with that, like what's going to have to happen? Is it really figuring out the flavor piece? Is it driving costs down, getting more people to try it? Yeah, well, the I think a, I think a lot of people listening to this will un, have a more familiarity with what happened with cow milk and plant-based milk because that's a m- m- more mature segment of the plant-based food world. And, and you know, if you think of that as a lesson, you know, how many of us are having some kind of nut milk for breakfast or in our coffee and how many people are, are still buying uh, milk from, from a cow? And, and that, you know, that's an example of where we're headed with plant-based meat category. The entire plant-based foods in the United States sector in 2021 was just over $7 billion. Um, wow with the plant-based meat section being just about one and a half billion and plant-based milk, which is more mature, just being just about two and a half billion. Then there's cheeses, there's, you know, spreads, there's, there's all sorts of categories in that total where plant-based milk is extremely mature. And then you go into plant-based meat, which is just behind that. Just, uh, just about 45% 
of the households in the United States drink or use plant-based milk. Wow. Plant-based meat is about 20% of households use plant-based meats. The three-year growth trend for meat has been 75% growth. It, it, in, in meat and in plant-based milk, it was 33%. Um, long-term forecasts in the United States are that it, it's going to be projected to be a market size of about $34 billion with, uh, for the total uh, plant-based meat projections, being that it's 10% of the quote-unquote meat market. So it's, it's not half, but it's a huge industry. And then globally, at the same time, it's going to be about 6% of the meat market over the next uh, 10, 10 years. It's a real industry. And it, you know it's real based on how the animal protein industry is reacting, being a, in a defensive posture. Um, and then also, we also know it's, it's on the rise because every grocery store wants to create their plant-based aisle they want they're experimenting with where do they put it in the grocery do you put plant-based meat in the you know in the where the deli meats are do you put it in the grocery section you know they're experimenting with this and uh so it's it's real and it's here to stay and it's growing and everyone's experimenting with it that uh, i we can't even keep track with uh, of how many um, people are are starting companies with a plant-based product and and that's also a, a has to do with the food scientist schools that are happening around the country. Um, there's a lot more food scientists, science schools, and these people are coming in and graduating out of these schools. And they're like, I'm going to start a company and try and make something that's going to address the problems in our food system, address the problems in climate with our health, with um, supply chain problems. I'm going to create a product that will solve a problem there. And, and so you've got that combination of, scientists, food scientists, food science specific schools, venture capitalist money, a changing marketplace, and this burning platform to address health, animal welfare, and climate. Sounds like a good time to be in the uh, plant-based proteins business. (laughs) (laughs) You Um, say it is, yes. (laughs) So sounds like exciting years ahead. And, you know, obviously here at Climate Optimist, you know, we want to see things continue to grow rapidly in that space, given, you know, the impact that uh, animal proteins have on the climate. You know, you talked about kind of the market pieces, right? Having expertise, having money. Are there, you know, is there a legislative side? Yeah, right now with it being in the early years, the challenge right now is is the same thing that happened in, in milk is around labeling. The entrenched incumbent uh, tends to have this theory that people are confused or misled when they pick something off the shelf that it's soy or almond nut, and they would they were confused that like how did I buy this almond milk and I thought I was buying cow milk, and so that's that's the theory, and so they 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 march off to their state and federal. Uh, legislative branches, and they they attempt to get laws changed around labeling. And the and the plant based milk industry won, and that's why we have the options we have today around plant based milk. And the you know cow dairy milk 
is industry is is having to reinvent itself it's it's struggling and and it's because you can buy a, a carton of your favorite nut milk and it, and it doesn't need to be refrigerated until it's opened it has shelf life it's, it's versatile people like the fact that it's not coming from a cow and it's good and so it and now that same that fight seems to be over and so now it's all about providing the best product uh that's accessible at the right price. Now that fight of labeling law has moved to plant-based meats and you've got the, in, the, the cattle industry, the animal industrial industry are trying to protect uh, their old ways with um, fighting in, in the courts or with or passing laws that, that protect words like burger or sausage. Uh, that that can only be something that is, you know, grown as an animal and then slaughtered uh, and cannot be used by anybody else. The one law that was passed in 2020 in Louisiana was called the, they called it the Truth in Labeling of Food Products Act, number 273. <laughs> and uh, along with the Good Food Institute and Animal Legal Defense Fund, Tofurky took them to court. We took them to court and we won. I think the judge said it was imper impermissible restricts, uh, restriction of commercial speech. So we're seeing this in other states. And that's what Tofurky is doing right now is we are representing the industry and we, we're able to do it because we don't have a holding company or a conglomerate above us that perhaps sells animal protein products. Won't name right. any names, but we're able to to go out and represent the industry because we're not going to step on anyone's toes, and and that's where the fight is right now. Uh, so we, in addition to legislation, we are through our marketing, through our campaigns, trying to you know persuade our our brand loyalists to get involved with the food system. Yeah, you already uh, you beat me to the punch. Um... I was going to ask, you know, how can how can folks get involved? And then, as an aside, it's good to hear these court battles are are falling, you know, in in your favor. Interesting that you know the traditionalists don't have a lot of faith in the consumer that they can't tell the difference between, you know, a, a T bone and uh, you know a plant based alternative. But um, I'll leave that one aside. So, encouraging folks to get involved, understand their food. Are there are there other things that you know we as folks that are concerned about climate change can do to help accelerate this you know adoption of plant based proteins? Well, we talked about from a legislative perspective, you know, get involved from a labeling perspective, get involved with whether it's the Good Food Institute or or whatever sustainable food system advocate organization that that is is trying to change our food system for the better, um, for health, for animals, for, for climate, obviously getting involved in, in voting. But from a simple terms is if more of the plant-based products that you buy it and ask your grocer to carry it, that's going to create that demand because that's going to create that shelf space that goes, hey, people want this. And that that's an easy thing to do. And, and, and to, to do that, you've got to be experimental in your kitchen. I think if people experiment in and get to know their food and handle it and make recipes 
um, I think something happens within inside you where you want to know where the food comes. You ask questions. So I think that's where to start. And then if you want something measurable and actionable, have set yourself a goal of I'm going to have a meal a week that is nothing but plant-based product, plant, whether that's produce, you know, vegetables and, and, and fruit, legumes and nuts and beans and these kinds of things, or, or you add uh, a plant-based meat alternative. Well, I think that's a, it's a great ask and a, um, you know, one that, you know, enables folks to continue eating things that they're, you know, traditionally used to, but, you know, venturing out a little bit, I think one day a week seems pretty reasonable to me. Well, just want to say thanks for taking the time to come in and share with us the exciting world of, of plant-based proteins and all the, uh, interesting hurdles you have to get through to, you know, make the, the market more and more mainstream. and yeah, just excited to see where things are uh, five years from now, 10 years from now, um, and what's on those uh, grocery store shelves. Well, thank you for having me, Jason. This is uh, a lot of fun talking to you. And and yeah, people just need to get out there and try it. Try, try eating plant-based and, know, and, and learn about where your food comes from. Get to know your food. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for all you guys do there at Tofurky. Thank you. So Todd, what did you think of the uh, kind of the inside look at plant-based proteins? Well, you know, the thing that hit home, and this this was evident, I think, in our last you know podcast we did about about meat and and plant-based alternatives, was just the huge impact that that beef has, you know. And I think he he quoted some numbers, and I think they're all about at ninety percent savings in water and land and carbon, and just the massive difference that beef it, you know, beef's kind of in its own category, even in the meat world, like obviously yeah. plants are better than meat all around, but beef's kind of in a, in a category of its own. And, uh, you know, just if, if, if there's a personal choice that people could make, you know, cutting out beef a couple times a week out of your, you know, out of your week would be huge. And the other part that staggered me that I didn't really think about before was the milk thing. And I don't know why that never crossed my mind to even think about the the plant-based milk and how huge of a market that is and i didn't realize it was big you know he said over 40 percent of households which really kind of blew me away i didn't i didn't realize that it was that big i knew that it was popular but i didn't know how big it had really gotten and just really kind of relating, mainstream yeah and relating that story kind of where the plant-based meats are kind of following what happened with milk i thought that was really interesting yeah and i mean fingers crossed that's that's the way it goes right i mean i yeah to be clear, like I eat mostly plant-based, but I, I will occasionally, you know, on that rare occasion have a, have a burger. And so sure, I, I, I want to tread lightly because I know food is a personal choice for folks, but I, <laughs> but I do think that, that we should be aware of, of the impact or the footprint of our food. You know, if we were all raising it ourselves, we'd be, you know, yeah. very aware. But yeah, I think these, these numbers certainly put things into context. And, and as you say, you know, you don't, you don't have to give up meat completely on the contrary, but if we all scale back, it would make a massive difference, not just for climate, but for, you know, these other environmental pieces. Well, and Hey, don't get me wrong. I think I've said it before. Like I, I'm a huge fan of like a, you know, ribeye steak. I love that stuff, you know, like it's hard to compete with that. But I do think really, especially in like some of the, especially in the ground meat kind of category, you can really make some substitutes that, 
are pretty stellar in some of those categories and sausages. So, you know, like you, I was kind of staggered by the the numbers he, you know, rolled out in terms of number of people who consume, let's say, you know, plant-based milk and and was really, you know, feeling sort of hopeful hearing the the growth that they anticipate that they've seen and anticipate seeing in their market. Mm-hmm. You know, I was reading that in in 2020 that investments in plant-based proteins were up three times more than they ever had been in a previous year. There was over three billion dollars. Hmm. Um, but I but I think you know it really all comes down to the the efficiency you know of producing an animal-based protein. You know, right? I think as you point out, there's nothing more there's nothing more dramatic than beef. I mean, yeah. You know, when you talk about beef from a kilograms of greenhouse gases per kilogram of meat, it's it's on the order of 70 kilograms. And on on that, that number alone doesn't mean anything. But then when you learn that chicken is only 10 kilograms, and yeah. then, you know, beans, you know, another good source of protein are just two kilograms. So it's, you know, it really is an order of magnitude, you know, different in terms of in terms of its efficiency. And so then you can see how it has all those cascading impacts in terms of water and land and and carbon. And let's not forget about the fact that like there's a ton of, of you know, meat production that takes place in countries like Brazil. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that deforestation is being driven by the desire to produce more, more meat or feedstock for meat. Yeah. And I'm sure more people will, will be interested in, in these kind of plant-based alternatives due to climate, right? You're going to have people who it might be, you know, it's probably going to be their sole reason for, for jumping into this and making this market grow. Like that's the goal, right? It'll be good for the climate and it'll be good for, for these companies that are, that are creating these products. Yeah, indeed. Fingers crossed. Well, and, and that's, you know, that leads into the question, you know, we always ask, what can we do? And, you know, for this week, I want to suggest that if you're not already, you know, eating plant-based at least one day a week to take Chris's advice and, and try it out. I think it's pretty easy when it comes to breakfast and lunch. And, you know, when you get around to dinner, you have a favorite recipe, you know, go out and find a, a meat alternative to substitute. Mm-hmm. And, and as you said, Todd, I mean, a lot of these are, are good substitutes and can even be, be hard to tell. I think. And, you know, I think the second option again is, is reach out to your representatives and push for action on climate. You know, I know there was some disheartening news about how Senator Manchin, you know, this one Senator from West Virginia is, is, you know, literally holding up climate action by the, by the Congress. But, you know, the reality is there are Republicans out there who understand that it's a problem as well and aren't facing the heat that Senator Manchin is. So I think it, you know, underscores why it's so important for us to be reaching out and and putting pressure on those folks because because at the end of the day who knows if you know we need senator manchin to pass this stuff it may end up being you know you have a cohort of republicans who are you know brave enough to stand up for what they think is right so take a take a moment call your representative you can keep it short and sweet and just tell them you're worried about climate change and that they need to take action anything to add todd i think you you've taken care of it <laughs> i defer to you Well, that's it for uh, this week's episode. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Come back next week when we'll be digging into the topic of climate adaptation. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimus.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimus Podcast. 